You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to Giants Double Play, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Janie Hu, the Chronicles assistant sports editor, and I'm joined, as always, by our Giants beat writer, Henry Shulman. Henry, it's a pleasure having you in here again. It's two times in two weeks. We're starting off well here. Yeah, I get to spend a little time in the Bay Area, which is nice. That's true. All right. Last week, we went over the Giants' uh, first half um, in our podcast, and we we have posted your midseason report um, and uh, embedded that podcast in there. So. Right. Our listeners should take a listen if uh, if you haven't already. Um, so we're going to start off uh, right now and just take a look at the second half. Um, right, and uh, yeah, the first the first half the midseason report, which is on sfchronicle.com, is also accompanied by the unit by unit report. So I you get my opinion on how the pitchings did, how the hitting did, how the defense did, and then again, like Janie, like you just said, uh, the the podcast on the first half review is embedded on there. So you can just click on it and listen. Sounds good. So uh, we'll we'll treat this podcast as our look ahead to the the start of the uh, second half. Um, and the first, like right off the bat, they've got it. The Giants have a killer schedule to start. Yeah, and uh, I mean, in a way, it's actually good because the Giants will be able to gauge where they are. Really, I mean, they they really have been meandering around five hundred all season. You got the trade deadline coming up. You have, you know, decisions to make. Now all of a sudden you get three games in Oakland against the A's who are really hot. Uh, they're going to have to face uh, Manaya again at the end of that series. Uh, the Giants traditionally don't play well there. Then they got two games in Seattle. You know, the Mariners are struggling a little bit or have struggled toward the end of the first half, but they're still in a playoff position. And then they come home and they got four games against the Brewers, who are the best team in the National League right now. And that'll take them right through the 29th of August, about the time that uh, July. management has to decide, <laughs> hey, what are we going to do with the trade deadline? Right, right. Uh, you got August on your mind today. Well, take them right August? through the end of July. I meant yes. July. Through the end of July. I'm sorry. I'm trying to get through to vacation time. I meant I July. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, all right. So the trade deadline looms July 31st. 1 p.m. our time. All right. And, uh, of course, ev- the question that uh, every team's general manager gets asked, are you going to be a buyer or a seller come the trade deadline? And for the Giants, um, w- what can they do here? Well, first of all, at the moment, as we tape this, as the uh, second half begins, the Giants are in buy mode. Uh, they have to think that way. They are only four games out in the standings, uh, even though there are four, you know, three teams ahead of them. Uh, you know, a couple of good weeks, and they could be in a playoff position themselves uh, in this division. Uh, so they, they have to be in buy mode. Uh, but they're limited in what they can do, to be honest, because uh, they are under – I, I guess they keep saying it's not a mandate, but but a very strong suggestion from ownership that they stay within the $197 million luxury tax uh, threshold, and they really don't have a lot of money within that. Now, that they traded Austin Jackson. When they traded Austin Jackson and Corey Guerin, 
they bought themselves about $2 million of wiggle room, but they could have been over it at that point. They won't say for sure. So they really do need to move some more money. And, uh, I mean, it could be a situation where they uh, tie um, a a really good prospect to uh, a veteran, you know, like Hunter Pence, for instance, uh, just as one example, uh, and, uh, you know, lose some money there. Uh, and uh, it's what they did with Austin Jackson. Uh, they could also, if they feel, for instance, that the bullpen is solid um, and they, you know, have a little bit of wiggle room there, they could trade an, uh, Sam Dyson and that saves them a million and a half for the rest of the year, just as one example. Mm-hmm. And if they if they put that money together with the money they saved on Austin Jackson, maybe go out and get a right-handed outfield bat, uh, a rental. But they haven't decided yet whether they're going to go with a rental. They haven't decided yet exactly what they're going to do. The way Brian Sabian put it to me is that um, it, this could be a week-to-week, even series-to-series decision. Right, depending, you're saying literally leading up to the trade deadline. Exactly. It can change day by day. So it sounds like it's going to be minor adjustments, um, though, that you can't, can you foresee um, a situation where they're able to offload a lot of money in a deal that, um, you know, to, to kind of bring in a more expensive piece? Yeah, you know, it, it doesn't look like they can. Um, I, mean, I don't know what kind of tricks they have up their sleeve. I mean, the hope was that Jeff Samarja would come back and show he was healthy and, you know, make three really good starts. And then you could move him uh, theoretically uh, and, and save a whole lot of money there to a team that, you know, needed a starting pitcher more than the Giants did. Giants would have had to suck up a lot of the contract. I mean, $46 million left, but um, they can't do that now. I mean, he's on the disabled list. Uh, they, they really, I mean, when you're talking about big contracts with the Giants now, now, I mean, they could move McCutcheon, um, and uh, they probably would in- entertain moving McCutcheon at the All-Star break uh, if they've decided that they really don't have a shot this year mm-hmm. um, and, and they really have to make a hard assessment by the end of July. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's why these nine games are critical. I mean, if the Giants go three and six in these nine games and all of a sudden they're, you know, six back, they have to take a hard look at it. And then they can't really, you know, I mean, they have big contracts in Melanson. That's going to be a hard one to move. They got big contracts in Belt, big contract in Crawford. Do you want to move those? I don't think so. Um, So that'll be tough. Right. Um, This might be kind of a strange question, but what's the... um uh, the overview of the level of prospects that the Giants have in their system right now to be able to maybe swing some of these deals and, and make it work. I know uh, we talked at the beginning of the season about Elio Ramos being a chip, um, and he, he was just in the Futures game, correct? Right. He actually got a single off the Giants pitching prospect, Sean Anderson. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, wh- where do they stack up? Do they have the pieces to be able to kind of swing some of these deals? They have the pieces to swing a uh, deal for uh, a piece, mm-hmm. okay? Um, the Giants are vi- were very forthright when they spent when they announced that they were going to spend a ton of money and restructure their farm system entirely, uh, and I've I've written about that. And they were honest in saying that they just don't usually have the pieces to put together to make a huge deal to get one of those big big impact players. Now, uh, you know, as we're recording this, the Manny Machado deal to the Dodgers is uh, kind of meandering along as the medicals are being done. Uh, but, you know, the, I mean, to trade a Manny Machado, a rental like that, they're going to get some, you know, pretty good pieces back from the Dodgers. And, and, and that's the kind of deal that the Giants really don't have the farm system uh, to compete with uh, right now. But they always have pieces that one team wants uh, one way or another. Um, I mean, just as an example of this trade, we just, you know, we just talked about Jason Barr. 
I mean, that's a guy that most Giants fans couldn't pick out of a lineup uh, as a prospect. He was their, I think, third-round pick or fifth-round pick last year. And the, the Rangers liked him so much, they took on $5 million in salary and Austin Jackson and Corey Guerin to get him. And there are players like that in the farm system. Ramos is one. Uh, Aramis Garcia, the catcher, is another. They have a second baseman in San Jose, Jalen Miller, who um, is a little bit of a late – I mean, he's, he's 21 years old. He's in his second year. Um, at San Jose, still, still a young guy. I mean, they have pieces that they can move to get um, maybe not the highest level free agents, but guys who could help them win. Right. Um, it's almost like uh, you were um, bringing up the trade piece, um, uh, Steve Barr. It's almost like real estate. You only need one buyer or you one person need, to agree to your buyer. price. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, all right. So in, included in your midseason report, uh, Henry, you had listed your three hits and misses um, from the first half. Let's, let's take a look at uh, who in your mind needs to really step it up. Well, um, one of my misses, uh, you know, uh, was Evan Longoria, the third baseman. And, um, I mean, I think, as I wrote, uh, I mean, he would be the first to tell you that he has not had the kind of year he would have liked to have had coming here uh, from Tampa Bay uh, in, a, in a very big trade. Uh, I mean, he hit in the 240s. Uh, he was be- I mean, now he hit in the 280s against left-handed pitching, and they're lacking that now. So they need him in the lineup for that. Uh, but you know he's he's had he's committed more errors in the field than he's drawn walks, and I mean the walks um, are are not them in and of themselves. The number of walks is not an issue, but it does speak a little bit to his uh, you know what he's seeing at the plate, how he's adjusting things like that. And I think he's one guy you know who definitely needs to to pick it up a little bit. Uh, a guy that uh, doesn't get a lot of criticism for all he's done in the organization is Joe Panic, and and really I mean he's had an unlucky year with injuries uh with the groin uh injury that he's uh, on the shelf for now also the the thumb uh tear that he had right. but he's he's a guy who's hitting uh you know he's just not been hitting this year and you know he was the he was the leadoff hitter at the start of the season and the fact that they don't have a consistent leadoff hitter is a concern uh and it remains one even with Stephen Duggar's ascent um and and then um I don't know if these are guys that you would want to talk about stepping up, but these are key guys going forward are the two injured guys in the rotation. There's just no question about it. Uh, Johnny Cueto and Jeff Samarja. Uh, and, you know, they have the depth to overcome some of uh, though the, the injuries, uh, pick up some of those starts. We've seen it with Holland. We've seen it with – they have Block in the bullpen. The two kids, obviously uh, – uh, Rodriguez and Suarez have have done a you know yeoman's work, right? Um, but I mean, it, it it's going to be hard to win if uh, Johnny Cueto um, is you know like too whether he's hurt or too timid to throw the way he's supposed to throw. We got to give him some slack. It's only been two starts, and he has a he has a partial tear of his UCL. But you know those are guys that at least Cueto, especially Cueto, are going to have to pitch somewhat to their capabilities if uh, if the Giants are to go anywhere. Remind me what both of those con- their contract situations are for Samarja and Cueto. Uh, Samarja has two years left after this one. Uh, Cueto has three years left after this one. Now, Cueto signed a six-year deal with an opt-out after two years. And obviously, after he got hurt last year and, and put up some really bad numbers, he did not opt out. Right. So they still That's have... Right. Yeah, a lot more years, and that you know that's a little scary for guys who've had that kind, those kinds of injuries. Right. So, so we're not looking at just you know what what's going to take place in in these next few months. It's a long term kind of how are these pitchers shaping? Up? Yeah, and let me just talk about Cueto for a moment. I mean, Cueto has an injury that most generally 
ends up with Tommy John surgery. And, um, you know, they, he went to Dr. Andrews, who's the key uh, physician who does Tommy John's and examines these elbows, and he said, you can rehab this. And uh, it, Dr. Andrews' opinion carried a lot of weight. I mean, I mean, Cueto was headed for Tommy John. The Giants medical staff was leaning toward Tommy John. He thought he was going to have it. Uh, but if he can't come back, if, if this thing is just not allowing him to pitch— um, and they decide to go ahead with the injury, mm-hmm. it would cost him the rest of this year and, and all of 2019. Year, right. But he's still signed for 2020 and 2021. So you have to look at the long term as well. Right. With um, Samarja, they're saying that his shoulder injury is not something that the surgery is not something they've talked about. But again, they might have to consider the long term since he has two years left and maybe shut him down for longer. Right, right. Um, all, all decisions they will not make lightly. Mm-hmm. For certain, um, what about uh, since we got on the topic of injuries? Um, what's the um, kind of uh, the timetable for Joe Panic? Where is he at right now? Uh, well, he his prognosis was about three weeks, and he got hurt. I think about a week and a half ago, so he's about halfway through. Uh, actually, with him and Longoria, you could see both of them beginning minor league rehab assignments very soon after the All Star break. I believe that Longoria's will start uh, over the weekend. If not, then early next week and uh they hope to have him back by right around august 1st uh and and panic shouldn't be too far behind uh it should be right about the same timetable right um so the the giants will open up the second half um we'll flip uh hosts for the bay bridge series they'll be out at the a's i had asked you earlier if you had any good mount davis stories because the a's are taking off the tarps uh for their saturday game against the giants um but uh, Henry and, and Henry's response was no. Um, <laughs> we're going to send Scott Osler. This is actually an interesting side note. We're going to send Scott Osler uh, up to Mount Davis on Saturday to, to write about the experience there. And uh, Scott, when I asked Scott to do this, he's like, sure, but I, I can't go too high up. I have a fear of heights. And he legitimately has a fear of heights. And he should take one of the Chronicles um, supplied oxygen tanks up there. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, in, in terms of... Of, uh, we're gonna let, let's do some general uh, baseball stadium talk. Where would the Coliseum rank for Henry Shulman's tour of stadiums that you've been to? Um, uh, just on this planet, or are we including <laughs> hell? Um, it's it's. Uh, li- listen, I, I want to say something about the Oakland Coliseum. Okay, it, it's a dump. I mean, I'll, 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 it's a dump. It needs to be replaced. Um, it's not a, a great place to watch baseball. They destroyed it when they built Mount Davis and all that. But I have some fond memories of, of the Coliseum. Uh, we were just talking about this out, out in the office. Uh, I, I came to the Bay Area in 1979 to go to school at Cal. And with Cal, you could just hop on the BART and go down to uh, the A. And even though I grew up a National League fan, I saw a lot of, of A's games there. And um, people who were very close to me um, were A's fans. And I, I went to uh, you know a lot of, of games there. I, I covered a lot of A's uh, early on in my career as a sort of a backup writer and uh you're never going to get me to say that it you know that it, it's a terrible 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 place but right now in 20 uh what's the year 18 i can't get the month right but i can get the year right in, in 2018 now it is uh it is probably that in tampa are the worst stadiums and that's why those are the two that baseball is committed to replacing yeah they're antiquated for um and it, it's it's still always stunned me the lifespan of a of a stadium now it's just it's so small um yeah it's you know, it's, it's crazy it's it, crazy, it's crazy. I mean, Wrigley and, field is over 100 years old it's been rebuilt it's been remodeled a few times but you have stadiums like atlanta that lasted 20 years 
20 years they played in um, the uh, Olympic Stadium, and then they moved out to the Burbs. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're headed up to Seattle. Um, beautiful ballpark. Yeah. Safeco. Uh, is it still called Safeco? I it's, still really called, actually... it's still called Safeco. <laughs> um, the, the, the funny thing about that is uh, the, the ballpark in Seattle uh, is built alongside the football stadium. And the funny thing to me was that they put a dome over the baseball stadium for the summer, <laughs> yeah. but there's no dome over the, there's no enclosure there's no for the football roof. stadium, yes. right? So when it's December and there's ice coming down in uh, Seattle, you just got to grin and bear it. And, and in the summer, you know, if there's a couple of drops, they can put that kind of umbrella roof over there. Uh, and I love the fact, actually, there's a train tracks right behind right field at Safeco Field in Seattle. And it's pretty cool because just in the middle of the game, the train can just go right under the you know, the, sort of the extension of the roof and, uh, you know, pull, the engineer pulls the horn and it wakes everybody up during a boring game. But I, I love Seattle. It's a beautiful ballpark. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I spent a year up there uh, working at the uh, Seattle Post-Intelligencer. Uh, and uh, it, it, that, it was the same joke because um, they had, I think, just opened the, which one was first? The state of the, the two baseball. stadiums. So they so they yeah. just opened maybe CenturyLink, I think. So I, I keep on yeah. having to pause because all these sponsorships of these right. arenas they, they keep played, changing. So I don't know what they're yeah. still called anymore. The Seahawks but. played for a couple of years at um, the uh, UW Stadium right. while they were building it. So yeah, right. the baseball stadium came first. Yeah, but I think they just uh, opened the football stadium, and that was the joke. There's not a roof on here, but there is for the baseball. So you were the twelfth man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You were you were the twelfth man. <laughs> um, Seattle, uh, um, uh, I was just asking you this earlier, uh, Henry Schulman's tips for Seattle, or have you, you know, you've gotten to go? You know, I will give you some some tips. Uh, If if you're staying, uh, like, uh, on the area of 6th Avenue, where there are a lot of hotels, um, be ready to uh, bring some climbing shoes when you go down to the waterfront and back. Hey, we're Uh, talking to a San Francisco audience here. uh, (laughs) It's really steep. Hills, great. (laughs) Um, Pioneer Square is where you go for a post-game drink. There's lots of pubs and things like that. And, of course, my favorite, one of my favorite restaurants anywhere in the country is Wild Ginger, which is an Asian fusion restaurant. Oh, yeah, I have reservations. I have reservations for Wild Ginger uh, when we're there. And uh, it's a great Asian fusion uh, type place, and uh, that's a must-go in, in terms, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and uh, you know, if you if you can rent a car on a really nice day, this is the other thing. Uh, and it's a really nice day this time of year, and you want to drive around Puget Sound. It's beautiful. You could drive uh, on the sort of west side of the Sound. Uh, you, you take a ferry to, I believe it's Bainbridge Island, and then there are some bridges, and um, you uh, you can drive around uh, to a little town called Gig Harbor, and it stays out, it's light so late there because they're so far north. It's really a beautiful thing to do. I'm not going to have time to do it this time, uh, but I really enjoy it. And, oh, yeah, if you want coffee, you might be able to find it there. Uh, just a few places. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll add to your list, um, if, if you are in a car, West Seattle is, I think, uh, yes. kind of a hidden gem uh, yep, yep, there. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, so who who knew we'd be talking Seattle uh, on our San Francisco Giants double play podcast? Well, a lot of people, I think a lot of fans are going to go up there. <laughs> I think that would be a great opportunity. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it's been three years since the three Giants years, have been yeah. up there? It's been three years since they've been up. Okay, uh, sounds good. Well, we are going to catch up with you next, uh, hopefully on the return trip from Seattle. Yeah. I'm going to ask you what you had at Wild Ginger. I'm very excited that it's still there. Oh, yeah. All right, we'll talk to you next time, Henry. All right. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. 
Our theme music is Horns of Jericho by Lucas Pern and Miloslav Kolar, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. This show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. For more Giants coverage, you can follow Henry on Twitter at Hank Schulman and me at Janie underscore who. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com. Thank you.